Blog Talk Radio. And good afternoon, Jets fans, and welcome back to the Jets podcast on 247sports.com. Along with Rick Lachlan, I'm Daniel Feuerstein, as we are going to review the entire New York Jets draft class in the 2019 NFL draft that was happening over in Nashville, Tennessee. And Rick, you know, you know, we feel like maybe we've got some solid draft picks here. Maybe a, maybe a few safe picks. You never know. Maybe not so good draft picks, but still, though, I think overall, I think the New York Jets may have gotten at this moment enough, not all the way, but enough uh, help to say we're going to have an improved 2019 season. Look, and the one thing I'll say, which I thought was somewhat of a disappointment, the Jets in this draft did not select a wide receiver. I thought it was a position of need. I thought that D.K. Metcalf out of uh, out of Old Miss would be a terrific option for them, especially with a third-round pick, or perhaps, um, again, if they did trade down, they could have acquired a second-round pick and certainly would have had him fall into their laps there. But by all accounts, I know you and I talked at the start of the show, Quinn and Williams, terrific guy, great character guy. Uh, coming out of that football factory is Nick Saban out of Alabama. Big physical defensive tackle, six foot three, three hundred three pounds. The concern I have is again, there's not much versatility. The Jets lacked speed along the defensive line, and while this is going to fortify that interior, I don't think it helps them from a speed standpoint. And really, I'd say the most controversial pick, which is a high risk, high reward, was their third round draft choice, number sixty eight overall. Jachea Police, the outside linebacker out of Florida, there were really very few questions as far as his impact and him being a professional linebacker. There were some concerns as his performance at the scouting combine. There were some rumblings about maturity issues and coachability. And look, again, you, Daniel, I think are in the same boat as I am. You know, I don't really think you get a heck of a lot and you can't judge a football player based on how fast he's running around in shorts or how high he's jumping when there's no competition on the field. So um, take it, take that for what you may. I think that the Jets uh, felt very good about this player coming out of the University of Florida. They wanted to take a flyer on him, and, uh, you know, rightfully so. If I had overall in the draft overall, like I mentioned, I just I don't think with that other th- uh, the other pick that they have, which is a fourth-round pick, the number 121st overall, they took a tight end, a blocking tight end at that out of uh, West Virginia that, look, I, you have Chris Herndon, you have Jordan Leggett. The, the Jets really have some solid players at the tight end position. I don't know why at that round and that stage of the draft they didn't take a chance on a wide receiver because, again, that to me was one of the greatest areas of need above tight end. But I'm no, I know we'll get specifically into each individual pick. But holistically, overall, I'd give the Jets a, a B or a B-plus for the draft. And, again, we're going to have to wait and see how a lot of these prospects play out. And, as I always say, check back with me in two or three years, and then we can fairly uh, assess their draft. I agree with you there, Rick. Let me just say this. Uh, first things first, the last name is actually polite, not polite. It's actually pronounced polite. So if polite does find a way to change your mind about him, you know, you can have a lot of fun with that last name, but, uh, yeah. you know. And especially, look, especially uh, it didn't seem like he's very polite to his former uh, teammates and coaches. And, you know, there weren't a lot of high-character write-ups about polite. So until he cleans yeah. his act up, I will refer to him as polite. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine, Rick. But, you know, once again, um, 
you know, the uh, the only current former Florida Gator on the New York Jets is uh, safety Marcus May. And even Marcus May knows a lot about this guy. And on Twitter, he said that, you know, watch out. This guy is going to be on this team now, and everyone in the AFC is going to be on notice. Um, you know, hopefully he'll be informed about his uh, bad temper, if we're going to be polite about it. Um, and I agree with you. I think while, you know, watching some of the highlight videos of him on uh, NFL Network during the draft, um, you know, game-wise, I like what I've seen of him. But personality-wise, when you're hearing about these things, you know, it does cause some concern, and we're, we're hoping that that does not happen. We're hoping that he'll come to the NFL, and you know what? He'll lean on Marcus May because Marcus May knows about him, and Marcus May probably has great ideas about him. And Marcus May, hopefully, you know, two former Florida Gators now, they're going to talk to each other, and Marcus is going to tell Jakai, you know, look, you can't be playing these games anymore. You know, you're not in college anymore. You're in the NFL because, you know, one wrong move, and they'll cut you without uh, without blinking an eye. So I-, I hope that Marcus May will find a way to get in his ear and make sure he tells him to, you know, button it down, uh, stay calm, don't try to, uh, you know, ruffle any feathers because, you know, now you're in the NFL. You've made it. If you didn't have these issues, he probably would have gone earlier in the first round. He probably would have been maybe a high draft choice uh, as an edge rusher. But, you know, still, though, you'd like to think that maybe they would have gone after Josh Allen over in Kentucky, of course, the local from Montclair State. I mean, from Montclair, from Montclair New Jersey, excuse me. Uh, but this other guy I like, and apparently he blocked for Sam Darnold over at USC, and that is, of course, the tackle on the right side is Chuma Ediga. Uh, you know, why not? I mean, look, if Sam Darnold's familiar with him, why not bring another USC guy who is playing with Sam Darnold and have him on the line and help block him? Because, you know, if that means uh, Le'Veon Bell gets another great hole because of Ediga, then you know what? More power to him. Daniel, you just took the words right out of my mouth. It, he is not a prospect that I like. He's a prospect that I love. I think the the fact that they're bringing in a former teammate of Sam Darnold's at USC, you already alluded to Marcus May, his connection with Polite at the University of Florida, and Quinnen Williams has that connection with C.J. Mosley at Alabama, having the ability to take him under his wing. Well, the idea of having a, a tackle that, of course, played alongside Sam Darnold, the Jets, as we know, really need quality starters on that line. They need some depth, of course, a guy in James Carpenter leaving. They've added some some pieces via free agency. But I really feel, and you look at the scouting reports on him, that he is more than an adequate pass rusher, a uh, pass blocker, I should say. He really is fantastic at not surrendering any any type of sacks whatsoever, any pressure. The only knock on him is at six foot four, two hundred ninety five pounds. He's more on the light side uh, for a tackle position. So look. He's uh, he in the third round. This is not the number three overall pick they select him with. They select him in the third round. So they understand he has some body weight that he still has to put on him. He's already an efficient pass blocker. He has a familiarity with Sam Darnold. I mean, all this 
draft choice. And again, I'll say Quinton Williams is up there. If this is not 1A and 1B, this is one of my favorite picks the Jets made just because of the familiarity with Darnold. His, his, he checks out as far as a pass blocker is concerned. He can easily, and look, this offensive lineman, they can, they can easily at the buffet line go for another round of, uh, of food and add another 10 or 15 pounds and get into the weight room and bulk up to 310, 315 to make sure he's, he's able to wall off a lot of these bigger defenders at the NFL level. But overall, I'm very thrilled with that draft choice. I thought it was terrific, a, a pick that the Jets got via the Minnesota Vikings. So, in overall, I think the Jets did a very solid job of adjusting a lot of the areas of need. For me, again, the only thing that, that kept them in the B to B plus range was not taking a wide receiver. I would have liked to have seen, especially in maybe the fourth or fifth round, uh, them take a flyer on a high risk, high reward guy at wide receiver. Um, frankly, as opposed to Polite, who to me has more red flags. And I understand Marcus May has nothing but terrific things to say about him and thinks he's going to burst onto the scene in the in the AFC East. Well, again. I think he's in for a little bit of a, a rude awakening because he's going to have to earn his stripes. You know, he's not exactly going to step in with the first teamers from day one. He's going to have to impress the coaching staff on special teams. Greg Williams is, is a hard-nosed coach. This is not a guy that's just going to basically, uh, you know, give him the kid glove treatment and allow him to just walk into the facility and expect to start from day one. So I think uh, Polite has a, a polite, I guess I should say, has a lot of work ahead of him, and I really. That is the only draft, uh, the round draft choice that I questioned. The Jets maybe should have taken another player. But, look, if he ends up panning out, these character issues don't continue to be a problem and he shows the maturity that he should at the professional level, um, then if all those ifs ends up being uh, definite, then the Jets definitely made the right choice. Let me say this first thing about Ediga. Edoga, uh, you know, as we uh, were talking about him, and I agree with you about Polite. If he can show maturity – as fast as possible, then everything goes away, and the Jets basically get a steal of a draft choice that everyone gave up on, and he dropped into the second round. I mean, into the third round, excuse me. Um, but for Edega, here's the overview, and this is from Lance Zierlin. Uh, of course, Lance Zierlin, of, uh, you know, a uh, very good NFL analyst there. Uh, he, he is a smooth, athletic run blocker and an uneven, unrefined pass protector, which creates a challenge in protecting him uh, his ability to get to blocks in a variety of positions from his <coughs> pardon me, his initial stance is something that cannot be taught. While some of his flaws in pass pro protection can be coached up, there are physical deficiencies that could plague him throughout his career. And basically to become a successful NFL starter, he needs to check the strength, maturity, and durability boxes as early as possible in his career. I feel like with some of the Videos you've seen on Twitter or on the Jets' website of him having a conversation with general manager Mike McCagnin, it sounds like he's ready to go to work, and it sounds like he's ready to you know, mature and grow up as fast as possible because I think he knows he's going to be basically protecting Sam Darnold for the entire career that they were together at USC for a year or two. So. You know, I believe in this guy. I like, and like you said, I think he's got that burst of energy that they said that he can do the job to protect Darnold for the passing plays, even during these run, uh, the running plays. This kid can be the, um, I was going to say, he is definitely going to become, in my opinion, another steal in the draft if he is successful enough. Yeah, and again, 
I questioned that pick in polite. The other pick, and look, this is the 196th overall pick, a six-round draft choice. You know, I'm not going to have a lot of scrutiny on basically what could amount to a throwaway pick at that point because, as we know, unless you're the Tom Brady's of the world, very rarely do a lot of these uh, later-round draft choices end up being impact players. But, you know, I just felt like the Jets, and they took a local product out of Rutgers, cornerback Blasuan Austin, six foot 198-pound uh, cornerback that, frankly, they expect to be an immediate contributor on special teams. I had some questions about durability. I mean, this is a guy, he went to Campus Magnet in Queens. He played only five games in two years at Rutgers. Uh, before tearing after tearing his ACL in his left knee twice so to me a lot of red flags polite with the character issues uh, this Austin with uh, injury concerns two not one but two torn ACLs in college and having only played five games I'm not sure exactly Mike McCagnan's staff and even Mike McCagnan himself what kind of game footage he's even looking at when you don't even have that much of a, a big of a sample size to judge a player on so Again, you know, they could. I felt like they could have easily, uh, via the the free agent market, or you know, when the undrafted players there's a signing period, they could have signed an undrafted free agent. Why waste a draft pick, albeit a sixth rounder, on a guy that probably at the the major upside would be that he can contribute on special teams, and that's a big if, given the fact that he's had an injury history and been able, unable to stay on the field and healthy. So. I really did question that pick, so that, to me, in my mind, was one that I thought they could have went in a different direction. And, you know, frankly, to a lesser degree, their fifth-round pick, 157 overall, Blake Cashman, a linebacker out of Minnesota, six foot one, 237 pounds, really undersized for a linebacker. I mean, he came in as a walk-on at Minnesota. Uh, they're saying he's got explosive ability as far as a tackler in the open field, terrific athleticism, but, again, they're expecting to be an immediate contributor on special teams. So uh, at least I'm not in the draft room with Mike McCagnin. I don't know what's going through his head and what whether Adam Gase is pounding the table for a certain player, Greg Williams is pounding the table for a certain player. But those two later-round draft picks, the fifth-round choice and the sixth-round choice, I understand that they're later-round draft picks. But if you're telling me that their upside is going to be just in the special teams game, uh, unless the Jets are expecting this, the special teams to be – really in vast need of improvement, which under Brent Boyer, they were among the league's best, if not the best. I'm not sure why you use two draft picks on players that really just amount to glorified special teams players. I will say this, though. Um, once again, roster filler. I'm not saying it's, it's the correct response, but you would have to say that, you know, at least if you're going to keep these types of players, uh, I would say, well, more for Austin, I'm going to say, uh, more of a roster filler. You know, you, you could probably see him as special teams and special teams only. You could probably see him uh, as part of the practice squad. Not saying that you, you keep a, uh, a corner uh, on the practice squad, but you know what? If they believe in what this guy can do, then that's probably why they drafted him. Am I saying it's correct? No, I think it's wrong. But if they have that much belief in them or if they feel that there's not enough talent there that you know suited their needs and just want to pick up a guy – that they just want to fill the roster with, then there you are. And um, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But still, though, you know, it's not like they picked them at number six. Oh, did I just say that? But that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they didn't pick them at number three. Uh, that was Quinn and Williams. 
you know, they could have picked Josh Allen or they could have picked, uh, you know, somebody else, but they didn't do that. And, you know, when it comes to, of course, as we talk about the fifth rounder, uh, 157th overall, Blake Cashman, um, you know, I will say this. Uh, you know, look, look what Wayne Krebet did when he was a walk-on from the Hofstra University football field, and he crosses over the main street to get to where the New York Jets practiced at Hofstra University. You know, you go from the uh, college football field to the professional football field, and he becomes a legend of the Jets, and he goes into the ring of honor, and his number gets retired. So, I mean, look, anything is possible in the NFL these days. When you've got a player, you know, very small stature but very big heart, and maybe he has a tons of talent that maybe we're not aware of, but if he is talented enough and if he is good enough, then you're going to get drafted. And I, I think that's what Mike McCagden's trying to do here. And like I said before, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying he's wrong. But at the same time, you have to see what's going to happen. You know, with these players that are going to be picked here and being on the big stage, which is the National Football League, they're going to get their opportunities uh, during training camp. Obviously, the rookie training camp is going to be coming up soon. Uh, you know, once everyone is signed and ready to go uh, for rookie camp, and you know, it's mandatory. You can't. Uh, get out of it but personally uh you know you try and get to the mind of a general manager and you try to see what they're going to try and do you know like i said before you know only time will tell if these guys are going to be a flash in the pan before the season starts or are they just good enough just to make uh, a practice squad or even special teams because if that's what they're going to be worth and that's what they're going to be worth and there's nothing much nothing much more you can do with that at all but the this is an interesting pick uh, in the fourth round, 121st overall, as everybody knows, Trayvon Wesco, the tight end from West Virginia, and Rick already mentioned about him. Let me say this, and I saved the tweet from NFL analyst Brian Baldinger. This is what he tweeted about this fourth round pick by the Jets, 121st overall. He tweets, congratulations on picking this Mountaineer. This is baby Gronk. The Adam Gase playbook just expanded 25%, and that's Baldy's breakdowns. I am telling you right now, Rick, if Brian Baldinger of NFL Network, and even though I, you know, Gasser's comment about Geno Smith and stuff when he was drafted uh, by the Jets a long time ago, uh, you know, was like, you know, I need to see how he does in Gasser's and at the end of training camps you know I thought that was going a little too far but then again if that's what it needs to be uh, looked at like how's he doing in gassers and you know fine that's his opinion and that's fine but if this guy says baby Gronk maybe the Jets stumbled onto something I'm not saying throw away Chris Herndon or Legit but still though you know a team where the tight end position was scarce under Todd Bowles and last year you find Chris Herndon and you're finally using a tight end as part of your offensive schemes, not just blocking, but actually being a threat in the passing game. And now you have an opportunity to have three different tight ends to be not just blocking, but pass catching and dominating. If that could happen, Rick, maybe the offensive line, the offensive game plans have improved by 50%. And 
I can buy that because this is Adam Gase's, of course, first draft with the Jets. If he sees that much talent and that much potential in a tight end to be able to fit into his system, to be able to use Trevon Wesco in multiple formations, as you mentioned, baby Gronk. Look, I, I, I hold Brian Baldinger in very high regard. You know, I do follow his breakdown of the tape. He understands the game inside and out. And if he's done his job scouting this player, which it sounds like, and he has the makings of being a baby Gronk, an all-around tight end that can block, uh, that can make people miss in the open field, can, of course, catch the ball with reliability. I'm okay with it. I just felt, look, if, if Adam Gase was high on him, he's pounding the table for him. I understand why they took him. I just would have liked to have seen a, a wide receiver go before him. That was my big thing. But look, if it ends up being not necessarily the biggest area of need, but the best scheme fit and the best available player for what the Jets want to do, all the power to them. You have to give Adam Gase at least an opportunity here as a first-year head coach of the New York Jets to try to build this offensive system in his own vision. So that's certainly what he seems to be doing. And, Daniel, you brought up a quick sidebar here. You brought a Winker bet, which I think is terrific, because I read a phenomenal piece in the Players' Tribune that, of course, Wayne Corbett wrote himself. And it was a letter to all the undrafted uh, players that basically was telling his story about how he – had went to a tryout for the CFL, a tryout where he paid a couple hundred dollars just to even show up and showcase his skills. And he said midway through the tryout, he actually blew out of his football cleats. He said he described it as Zion Williamson style, Zion Williamson style, where he basically the foot went through the, the cleat. He thought, here's the end of my tryout. I've wasted my time. My father's here. And what did he do? He ran over to the sideline where his dad had been standing and watching him, and his dad had gardener shoes on that day. He said not even sneakers, and he threw those on. He got through the rest of the workout, and it made him realize how, how committed he was to football, how much he wanted to be involved with it. He had he'd grown up a Giants fan. He said when he showed up for to the Jets to do a workout with the Jets, he had a Giants hat on, went through the workout. Of course, they signed him, he said, for $1,500 as a training camp invite, which at the time he thought was an unbelievable amount of money. He was so happy to have gotten it. And when Rich Coatside, who was the then coach, basically saw he had the giant hat on and said, here, trade this out, and you're going to be wearing this from now on. He gave him the jet hat. He said it was just such a proud moment in his career. And it's really an inspirational story for any of these players that still have remained undrafted. And he even told the stories about, you know, being in awe of the first game against the Miami Dolphins in which he played, being in awe of seeing Dan Marino and, and seeing Don Shula on the sideline. And when they were on offense, uh, Boomer Esiason, the quarterback, it signaled for Corbett to go in motion. He didn't move, and and Esiason called a timeout. He lambasted him, and Wayne Corbett just said he was starstruck. He couldn't believe that he was on, this play, on the same playing field as Dan Marino and Don Shula. So uh, if there's any players that still right now don't have an NFL team to call home, they're probably disgruntled and probably frustrated the fact that they weren't selected. Look no further than a story like Wayne Corbett to see a player that basically got nothing handed to him, earned every dollar and every down that he took in the NFL. And I know for you, Daniel, I know he was a, a favorite player of yours and certainly of mine and of Jet fans. And it, it just shows it doesn't matter where you come from, where you're selected, or if you're selected at all. If you have the passion for the game, the, the work ethic, and the love for the game, you can go as far as, as you can possibly dream. Yep. And all I can say is, is that to see, you know, what Wayne Corbett did to become like, you know, the Jets version of Rudy, 
who walked on to Notre Dame and wanted to become a part of uh, Notre Dame football and everything. It's just one of those things where, you know, when Corbett wanted to play for the Jets, he walked on and he became uh, a legend of the team and is part of the Ring of Honor. Um, let me say this, Rick. I'm also agreeing with you. I thought they could have gotten another wide receiver. Um, and, you know, once again, uh, maybe they could have gotten another center. Uh, don't know if that'll be an under, undrafted free agent. Uh, don't know if that's going to be a, uh, you know, a possible free agent that's going to be released that the Jets can pick up. Um, there's still a hole or two that probably the Jets did not fill. Uh, but then again, you know, every draft, you can't really, you know, fill every hole or every need that you need to fix yourself for next year. So, you know, at the moment, I, I think the Jets did okay. I don't think they did, um, you know, uh, blasted it out of the water or anything like that. But you know what? Uh, you had yourself a grade of what? B plus B? You know what? I'll agree with you there. I, I think this is a B plus draft. The grade is B-plus draft for the Jets. Um, you know, safe picks possibly. Maybe something uh, might surprise us. But so far for the New York Jets, um, it, it's a safe draft. And I'll agree with that. And, you know, the reason I graded on a curve is we've been familiar with Adam Gase from his time with the Miami Dolphins and watching his offenses. And, frankly, the way he drew up that Miami miracle play against Bill Belichick and then on the Patriots – was nothing short of brilliant. So I really, from an offensive X's and O's standpoint, from schematically, I really don't question Adam Gase. I think he's more than a capable offensive coach and certainly has more than an idea as far as putting together a potent offensive attack. So, you know, again, if he sees, whether it's a tight end in Wesco or other players, if he sees potential and sees a fit within the scheme or just uh, thinks it's an effective player, I'm going to have to at least give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what's best for the team. And obviously, again, they have some, some things to wake, work out through training camp. There's still undrafted players they could sign via, uh, you know, the undrafted process that they could add a wide receiver that maybe makes an impact. But for me, you know, protecting Sam Darnold has to come first and foremost. I agree with you, Daniel, when, uh, of course, they had centers that were on their radar one most notably those of the Denver Broncos that went by the wayside. You know, I still think that that is an area and position of need, especially with a young quarterback. I mean, we've seen how many times, remember when Nick Mangold went down and there were so many botched center, center exchanges. Uh, it was just, you know, it's something that it's, it's how the offense starts. It starts the cadence, the timing. It really is everything, the quarterback center exchange. If they can't get that 100% on the same page, 100% right, then this offense is not going to get off the ground by any stretch of the imagination. But I think Adam Gase is a smart guy. He's going to understand that. I thought Dowell Logans, while I wasn't a huge fan of him coming in as the offensive coordinator, I think he's really in a role where he's just running, uh, really running the practices and serving as a teaching arm for Adam Gase to help the players learn the offense. And really, Adam Gase is going to be the mastermind, the controller, and the play caller behind this offense. I think that the Jets are taking a step in the right direction. I still would like for them to scour the free agent market or possibly via trade, try to figure out a way to bring in, if for nothing else than for depth, to try to bring in another piece or two uh, to try to address the offensive line so that essentially they can protect Sam Darnold in the best way possible. Because as we know with the Jets, when they've had subpar offensive lines, 
the offense doesn't stand a chance, and you're putting your quarterback in an awfully difficult situation, especially now a quarterback in a sophomore year. The opponents are going to have a full year of film study now, or at least close to that, to try to game plan against Sam Darnold. So everything that he did that worked in year one, he's going to have to, to a smaller and a lesser degree, reinvent himself. And if he's able to do that, he needs the protection up front to be able to be effective and take that next step in year two. That's, I agree with you there, Rick. And that's the one thing that has to be done here. Uh, these guys need to show that, you know, if they're going to do a, have a great year in 2019, that they have to continue to show why they are going to be a solid team in 2020. Because we, I've had enough of these teams that are great with a brand new head coach for first year. And then it all falls apart in years two. It gets worse in three. It gets worse in four. And it's a situation where, you know, um, where is this team going? Why is it that there's a, a supposed great, bright future, and then it all falls apart the next year? We need to make sure, and the Jets have to make sure, Adam Gates cannot have a 10-plus win season 2019, and then it goes down to eight or six or four the next two to three years. Has to be improvement now. The consistency must come now. And if it doesn't come, then we're going to have more issues with this Jets team. And then we're going to be looking for another head coach because, you know, this hire of Gase, while he looked okay in Miami, now this is New York. You don't mess around up here. Either you do your job or you don't. And I think the Jets saw a lot of the potential in Adam Gase as a young relatively young head coach that can relate to a quarterback in Sam Darnold. And again, bucking that trend of hiring defensive coordinators, defensive assistants, and trying to address and build on the team's strength and that for the first time in a long time being having a franchise quarterback. So if you're a Jet fan, you have to feel comfortable and at least confident in the fact that Adam Gase, as far as his schematics are concerned, is a guy that understands offensive football inside and out. And he's shown a propensity for bringing in the right talent to complement his, his franchise quarterback. So Jet fans are going to have to be patient. They're going to have to wait and see. But, again, there was no playoff decree put on Adam Gase, but I don't think uh, fans are going to be happy with another five- or six-win season. And once they make that next jump to the playoffs and 9, 10, dare I say 11 wins, you don't want to see them come crashing back down to earth next year. They, they have to have that level of consistency. Um, otherwise, Adam Gase is going to be just like Todd Bowles and just like Rex Ryan one year, two years, three years, and then he's gone, and the Jets will be looking for another head coach in a couple of years. Absolutely, Rick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this will do for the Jets podcast uh, on 247sports.com. The New York Jets have finally uh, finished their draft for the 2019 season. They're going to now get ready for these training camps. Of course, uh, the rookie camp for a week training camp afterwards and then we get to ready for the preseason games in august and then the regular season games in september for rick Laughlin, i'm daniel Feuerstein. this has been the jets podcast on 247sports.com through blogtalkradio.com we'll talk to you again next time we'll let you know when we're going to get ready for this podcast again so long have a good afternoon and bye-bye take care and have a good off season again jets fans talk to you next time bye-bye for now